All right, well, if you would turn in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. Today we will come to a close on addressing the wives of the household. We've been talking for quite a while uh, on the household, and even for wives in particular for quite a while. Greg told me I had to cut it off after this one, so this will be the last one on the wives. Uh, so, so we will finish up wives today, and I think next week we will probably start, um, I think, on widows maybe. So we'll see. Uh, but we turn to a very famous passage of Scripture that I believe most of the ladies who are familiar with uh, biblical femininity, uh, femininity uh, will, will have read before. Uh, but I would encourage you this morning, ladies, as you've probably read Proverbs 31 many times before, I want to encourage you this morning to read this through the lens of the household. Okay, that's the series we're in. That's what we've been talking about. So keep the household in mind as we read through Proverbs 31. Not only is the word household mentioned four times in this one passage that you probably hadn't thought of before, but everything that the Proverbs 31 wife does is oriented back to the household. If you miss the fact that everything the Proverbs 31 woman is here is placed within the context of the household, you've really missed the Proverbs 31 woman Altogether, okay. If you miss that, you're you're not getting the full picture. She isn't just a woman, and uh, the text actually doesn't refer to her as a Proverbs 31 woman at all. She is a wife and mother, okay. And because of this centrality of the household, this text makes no sense removed from the household, okay. What you'll find is that while the spotlight is on the wife, her actions are not self-seeking. It's not all about the wife. She does not abandon the home and search for a name for herself. Okay? It's not just about all her accomplishments. She isn't claiming to be an independent woman unhitched from the shackles of marriage, as our culture would kind of celebrate those kind of things. Rather, she seeks the good of her husband and her household all the days of her life. That's the picture that we get of the Proverbs 31 woman. So let us now read uh, what this Proverbs 31 wife is. I'm going to read the entirety of Proverbs 31. Usually people just start on verse 10, but I think it's important to start with the whole context here and to see how these words of the Proverbs 31 woman or wife uh, get to where we are. So Proverbs 31, we're going to read verses 1 through, I think there are 31 verses. 31, yes. These are the words of God, church. As such, let's give attention to them. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink lest they take drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and she and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is still yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. 
She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth to wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who pre- pre- but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to such a familiar passage to many of the ladies in the room who have immersed themselves in this passage and how they might strive to be godly women. We pray that you would give us new eyes, help us to see this text afresh this morning. I pray that you would do the work that we cannot by opening our eyes spiritually, give us eyes to see, ears to hear how you might be speaking to us as individuals this morning. I pray that we would take to heart the things that you are commanding to us and help us to find grace in our time of need. I pray that as we see this, Lord, that this would not be a discouraging text in any way, but that it would encourage us, that it would help us to strive all the more towards excellence, that it would help us to strive all the more towards an ideal picture of who you are calling us to be. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a little bit of background before we dig into Proverbs 31. An interesting interesting angle to look at Proverbs 31 is to realize that it was written, first of all, by a man who's talking a lot about women. Okay, So it's written by King Lemuel, uh, but some people actually believe that this may have been, uh, been King Solomon. Okay, So whether it was King Lemuel or King Solomon, it doesn't matter that much. But he was a king, and he was writing uh, about the ideal uh, picture of his son and who his son might marry. Like, like that's the beginning of the, what you get there. So he's saying, son, this is what it looks like to be a good ruler. You don't want to be a drunkard trying to make decisions. And this is the kind of wife that you should be looking for as you are trying to hitch yourself to someone and find a good spouse to marry. So this is wisdom that he is giving. But it, it, what you might not realize is this was actually an oracle. It, it says that there, but we miss that a long time. A lot of times when we read this, that this was probably a memorized oracle that his mother taught him, is what he says. So King Lemuel is giving this oracle that his mother had taught him. And uh, since uh, beginning at verse 10, the oracle becomes an acrostic poem, this would have been much easier to commit to memory. You can't see this because maybe you read Hebrew. I, I doubt anyone in here has a Hebrew Bible in front of them. But if you had a Hebrew Bible in front of you, you would look at this and realize that each verse starting in verse 10 all the way down to verse 31, begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. 
So it starts with Aleph and then goes to Bet and so on. So it, it actually has letters for each, and it's, uh, each letter has a, a verse that is connected to it. And this is a good reminder that the Old Testament is much more poetic than it is scientific. This is something to really keep in mind, actually, as you're reading the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is that this isn't a science. This isn't a textbook that we're seeing. Okay, this Proverbs 31 isn't like, here's five steps to become the woman of God that you need to be. This is a poem, and we need to read it poetically. So as we unpack this chapter, let's remember that this is much more of an art than it is a science, if that makes sense. Okay, Uh, But back to why I think this is interesting, that it's a king who writes this poem that his mother taught him. In this series, I've tried to make the point that women, but wives in particular, despite the clear teaching on submission to their husbands, are not powerless, right? They're not unimportant. Women are not non-influential. They're very influential. See here how the words of this king's mother, okay, so this is a woman speaking in a way through this king, through her son, these words are still speaking to us today. Her words are still speaking to the wives here today. They're still speaking to all of us. Because of her influence on her son, as she warned him against giving uh, his strength to women, she now lives on forever, giving counsel to kings and wives today. That's an influential woman. That's a powerful woman, as she is still having her voice out there today. We talk about giving a voice to women. See how this mom is actually speaking today in the context here. Okay? And this is one of the reasons I wanted to start with the household order in the New Testament first, because it sets forth godly household order that is sometimes set aside as women read Proverbs 31. This is why I was kind of in the introduction helping you to think about the Proverbs 31 woman in the context of the household. It's not just this standalone woman, but this, this is a family, and this is a highlighted angle at which we are looking at the household, namely wives. So if we begin with Proverbs 31, um, instead of starting with the New Testament picture first, it might have given the impression that the wife is actually the head of the household because of all the things this wife is doing. She does a lot. Uh, She is uh, a businesswoman, right? She's she's selling her goods. She's outside of the home. She's going in and out, and she's, she's doing a lot. And as you read the description of this excellent wife, one begins to wonder if the husband has any role in the household other than praising his wife, just rising up and calling her blessed. She's an awesome woman. Okay, right? right? She's, she's doing a lot. And I wanted to, to get this uh, as a finishing picture of the, the wife because when we look at the New Testament, it can almost seem like the woman just needs to stay at home, never leave the house, be submissive to her husband, never say a thing. Okay, the Bible has a bigger picture than that. So I'm trying, I wanted to start there to get the, the order of the household and then grow out and see what the wife looks like. Okay, what's this look like in practice? This is what we see in Proverbs 31. If you keep this in balance with the whole picture of Scripture, and see that wives have a lot going on. I believe this just goes to show that submission isn't a stifling reality that holds women back. Okay, There's still so much that women are doing, even though the Bible still talks about submission. It's simply the God-ordained order of the household that brings fruitful flourishing. Okay, So starting with a well-orbed view of the household from the New Testament allows us to see the glaring, uh, glaring orientation towards the household in this wife's life. Okay, If we didn't go through all of what we've talked about so far in the household, you might have not even noticed that it even mentions the word household in the Proverbs 31 woman. Right, So that's why I wanted to go back to the, this at the end so that we can see that this wife has a lot to do with the household. Before uh, I unpack this theme in the Old Testament in Proverbs 31, uh, I want to one final time turn to the New Testament as we look at the last exhortation for wives and how they should conduct themselves within the household. So 
If you would turn quickly with me, we're going to go to a New Testament passage and bounce off of that and come back to Proverbs 31. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Titus 2, Titus 2, we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 5. This gives us a sort of abbreviated and practical echo of Proverbs 31. And it says this. Um, if, if you don't want to turn there, I'm going to read it. Uh, but if, if you would just look at it and just uh, keep your finger in Proverbs 31, we're going to come back to that. I, I just want to start here one last time because there's a, a word or a clause in here that sometimes trips us up. And I think that Proverbs 31 actually gives us a good answer to that. Okay, Titus 2, 1 through 5 says this. This is Paul speaking to Pastor Titus, telling him how he should uh, practice his preaching in the church. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older, women, or older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, so Paul tells Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's the way he opens up here. And typically, at least my mind works this way. I don't know if yours does, but when I think of sound doctrine or even just the word doctrine, I think abstract theology. Okay, I think of like, this is the doctrine of sin. This is the doctrine of, of regeneration or something like that. I don't think so much about the, abs- or the, the practical side of things, but that's where Paul goes. Okay? He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine, and then he starts to unpack the order of the household. So in a sense, you could say this is Paul's doctrine of the household. Older, win- older men, older women, what do you do? Younger women, what do you do? Younger men, bondservants, masters, and so on. But one striking thing that many people get hung up on that we haven't talked yet about as it pertains to wives is verse 5, where it says that wives should be taught to work at home. Okay, This is controversial. Working at home is one of the things that Titus tells us. Okay, Now, the reason this becomes so controversial is because it's framed in a 21st century post-industrial revolution where men and women have abandoned the home in order to make a living. Okay, It's just different now. The, the context that this was written in wasn't so much like it is now. The industrial revolution has revolutionized the way that we think about the home and the workplace. Okay, And it has really divided the two, whereas they used to be much more of a singular kind of thing. They worked together. Okay, Remember uh, earlier in the household series, some of you weren't here, I know, but uh, let me just catch, catch you up to speed. If you remember when we were talking about households in the beginning, I, I told you that um, there was these Greek words that actually brought us – um, closer to our understanding of how these things used to be together and have grown apart. Okay, And it wasn't something that was hidden either. Everyone thought of the household in this way. If you'll remember, the Greek word for house uh, is oikos. Okay, Some of you might remember this, oikos. And the Greek word for law is namos. Okay, and you bring these two words to gre- together, oikos and namos. You have oikonomos, and you can ca- start to hear what we have there, economy. Oikonomos, economy. So that's where we actually get our English word, economy, is from these two words. And what it really means is just house law, right? We govern in our land, and we have a business uh, understanding of house law. That is economics, okay? And now these these used to be much more of a 
singular thing. These were together. Okay, so the house law or house order house order used to be our economic foundation. And that's just the way that everyone thought. Now our entire economy has shifted from the home to some external money making machine where we have to leave the home and come home to sleep. Okay. Homes have essentially become hotels, right? Yes, they have a couple leisure things like a pool and some things to do there, but mostly we just sleep there and work is removed and taken out of their home. Okay, so because of this, because of the Industrial Revolution causing this, people now simply ask if the wife is a stay-at-home mom or if she works. Okay, it's one or the other. Are you a stay-at-home mom or do you work? As if there's nothing to work on at home. Okay, and as if you were, if you work outside the home, you can't be working at home too. Okay. So, so we've been made to, to pick one of these two, two things, or, or wives have felt like they have been made to uh, think that they have to pick one of those two things. As we read Titus and it says working at home, the wives that actually have a job that isn't a stay-at-home mom, they're like, oh no, I'm not being a biblical woman. But here's why I want to kind of point us back to Proverbs 31 uh, in, a, in a moment. So this dichotomous framework is unhelpful. Okay, when we think of it either or like that, it often casts shame on those who don't exclusively work at home. Some of the mothers that don't work just at home, they read Titus and they feel bad because uh, after they dropped their kids off at school, they didn't go back home. They went to work after that. And while their kids were at school all day, they went to work. And then at the end of the day, they came back home and they're like, oh, no, I didn't work at home. Okay, so everything you hear me say moving forward, I want you to hear it through that lens of realizing that that framework just needs to be dropped. Okay? We don't need to think of it that way at all. Okay, We're going to get to a more central and pressing question that we should be thinking of it through in just a minute. So allow me to speak to this issue as it relates to Proverbs 31. Okay, Back to Proverbs 31 if you still have your fingers there. Titus and Proverbs both exhort the wives to be working at home. Okay, But we cannot read our modern framework onto either of these passages. We need to see that the framework that both of these are working from is ensuring that the household is well managed and taken care of. That is the top priority. Okay, This is the crucial point. Is the home the first priority? That's what both of these passages are getting at. Are you taking care of family matters in the home first? And when we realize this... We can see that being a stay-at-home wife is not any more virtuous than a wife who works outside the home. Okay, the way you gauge which is more virtuous is how well their man, how well their household is being managed. Are things running like they should? Are they obeying the rules that they've been given in the order of the household? Which one is more household-centered? That will be the one that is actually the biblical picture of what you should be living out. That will tell you which one really is more virtuous. Okay, now. I know plenty of wives who, despite their stay-at-home position, are not caring for their households or stewarding their resources nearly as well as some of the women that I know who are working outside the home. Okay, So it's not an either-or. There are women that do a bad job at being a stay-at-home mom. They're not taking care of their households. They're doing all kinds of other things. I also know women who work outside the home, and they're doing a great job at taking care of their household duties. They're loving their husbands. They're loving their children. They're giving themselves to their household. So it's not an either or. So you see, what makes this wife in Proverbs 31 so uh, so excellent is her willingness to lay down all other vainglorious things for the sake of the home. That's really the Proverbs 31 woman. And I love the way that verse 10 frames this wife. This is the way that it starts to talk about her value. What makes her more valuable? What what is the Proverbs 31 woman? What is it that makes her valuable? Okay, look at verse 10 with me. I love the way that it says this. It says, an excellent wife who can find. In other words, this is rare. 
Okay? She is far more precious than jewels. Okay? She's far more precious than jewels. Wives, I want you to think about this for a minute. Bring it up to speed in your own context. She is much more precious than jewels. This is saying that the value of the home-centered wife, which is getting ready to talk about that, the value of the home-centered wife is more precious than money. Okay? In other words, it doesn't matter how much money you're making inside or outside the home. Money actually isn't the issue at all here. Okay? What is most valuable is a wife who will make her home top priority. This is the thing that's hard to find. And from the husband's perspective, he should have an eye for this. Okay, This is what the king is trying to show his son. Son, this is what you need to be thinking about. This is what you need to be looking out for. A good husband should see that having a wife who makes her children, husband, and household come first is the most valuable thing in the world. That's really hard to find. This is what the king is trying to tell his son. Any husband can find a wife who will go out and bring him in a big, beefy second income. Lots of husbands have that. But how many husbands and children have a wife and a mother that rise up and call her blessed, as it says in verse 28? Where as adults, they can say, that woman took care of her household. She loved me. She loved my dad. Or, or praise her by telling her, many women have done excellently, but you know what? Mom surpasses them all. My wife, she's better than them all. This is verse 29. This is what it's telling us. This is the language that the king is employing here about his wife and about the, the mother of his children. How many husbands have a heart that trusts their wife with the money that they bring home that they will have no lack of gain, as it says in verse 11? How many husbands have that? Right? We hear jokes all the time about husbands bringing home money to their wives and it goes all over the place. Okay? Buying stuff on useless stuff that doesn't make any sense about the household. It just kind of points back to the wife. The, the, the king is saying that's hard to find a man that actually can bring home stuff and where the, the resources are actually being uh, poured back out to, and invested and brought back into the household even making more money. Okay? How many kids and husbands have a woman that uh, takes those resources and then turns them for a profit, as you see that the excellent wife does in verse 16? Right? She, she's a businesswoman in many ways. She's industrious. She makes things and sells them, is what it says in verse 24. And the implication is that she's going to have to leave the home a little bit for this. She's going to have to come outside the home, at least some to do this. She can't just be barefoot and pregnant all the time in front of the sink. She, she has to do more than that. That's just the reality of the Proverbs 31 woman, right? So, so this wife is a very hardworking woman, okay? Rising early, staying up late. She makes her arms strong and makes her hands steady, okay? She's not lazy. She, she, she does her husband and her household good all the days of her life. That's every day. That's what she does. That is her life. Verse 12 and tw- verse 27 establishes this. This is a woman committed to her household. She labors with willing hands, Okay, so yes, she's doing this every day, but you know what? She doesn't do it begrudgingly. She does it with joy. She doesn't make jokes about it. She doesn't uh, have bitterness that she's resenting her job and her heart. She just hates her family, and she doesn't want to do this. She really just wants to leave. No, she does this, and she does it with joy on her face. And you know what? Her husband sees that. He values it more than anything. Her kids see that. They value it more than anything. Okay? And she does not only ensure her family is taken care of here, look at this Proverbs 31 woman, but she also does it with excellence. Okay, So she's not just checking the box. She's doing this well. She hunts down wool and flax so that when hard winters come, she can laugh at the times to come. When this wife thinks of the future, she's so prepared. 
right? When, when Christmas comes around, she's like, I already bought those things on clearance in July. But this is, this is the woman that is like always prepared for every situation. Quality, it matters to her. Okay? She's buying silk things. She, she, she's like the ship, ship's importing fine goods is what it says. She's buying qual- top quality stuff from afar. Okay? Her home is comfortable. It's well decorated with quality items. Okay? And this wife's works have earned her not just the standing reputation in her family, but also her community. Right? She is so awesome that her, her, her family isn't just reaping the benefits, but even her community. Okay? Not only is it her husband and her kids praising her, but when her husband sits among the elders in the land, he is known as the man that has the excellent wife. Okay? Other people are bragging about this man's wife. She even cares for the poor of the community and the overflow of her healthy home, as it says in verse 20. Now, this is a fine wife. This is an intense wife. You wives are feeling it. I can tell. You can see, I can see it all over your faces. Whoa, this is an intense woman. She is doing an insane amount of things. Okay. Now, now I want you to realize something, church. This is becoming not only more rare, but sometimes it's even socially unacceptable to praise this kind of wife in the community. Okay. I want you to realize this. This is the, the world that we live in. A couple years ago, uh, my father was at a Christian household with Christian men and Christian women present. I think it was even a small group. And one of the wives had done a really great job at uh, just getting the home ready, getting it prepared for this event. And she had made some cookies that were just phenomenal. So my dad starts going on about these cookies. And, and he, he says to this wife, uh, and praising her for being such a good cook, looks at her and says, every wife ought to be able to cook like that. Okay? And when he said this, the room grew immediately cold, like something snapped. When he looked at this wife and said, man, these are great cookies. Every wife ought to be able to cook like that. And one of the other wives was offended and immediately said, what did you just say? <laughs> Stopped it. And of course, my dad was a little confused at this point. Like, what? I said, every wife ought to be able to, like, these are great cookies. Like, he, he, he was praising the wife for doing such a great job. And she said, well, what is that supposed to mean? And then my dad was baffled, realized, like, I've just insulted the room. And he's kind of, like, fumbling, like, trying to figure out how do I explain myself. And he looks at the husband of the wife, and the husband says, you're on, the, you're on your own on this one. <laughs> so, so dad's just left thinking, I was just trying to compliment this wife, saying, wow, wouldn't it be great if every man had a wife that was doing this kind of thing? Now, I say this not to throw anyone under the bus. I, I'm really not, but to make a point, okay? And the point is this. It has become socially unacceptable in many circles to celebrate a good wife and try to raise the bar. To say, this is awesome. Wouldn't it be cool if we all had this kind of mentality? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could live like this? And if you praise the fact that she has uh, become home-centered and apply in any way that the bar should be raised for all wives, then insult is immediately taken. But look at Proverbs 31. It's right there. It's, it's right there with my dad's comment. Okay? So is it any wonder, let me ask you this, church, is it any wonder why an excellent wife is so hard to find? It's more precious than jewels. If we keep lowering and lowering the bar, saying, no, we're not required to do that. No, we don't have to do that. No, the household orders, that's antiquated. That's old style. We've moved beyond that. We don't need to do any of that anymore. Keep lowering and lowering and lowering. Is it any wonder why it's so hard to find a wife like that? That was back in Solomon or King Lemuel, whichever you believe, wrote this. That was back then. How much more now? Okay, It was rare back then. How much more rare is it now when we've really, really, really suppressed what a good, faithful wife is? And could it be 
that the Bible actually does support the claim that when the household disengages and is suppressed, social decline ensues. We start to see chaos. We start to see households uh, disintegrated. We start to see, oh, surprise, the economy disintegrated. Like we are in economic chaos right now. It's a nightmare. We're about to shut the government down. Okay? It, it is crazy the things that start to happen when we don't keep the home as our bedrock, where we start from. Okay? Family first kind of thing. Okay? We in our culture have praised the quote-unquote uh, working woman who has sacrificed herself and her family on the altar of the workplace. Saying, I'll give, a, I'll give my all to my boss. My family? Eh, not so much. Okay? That's the woman that we actually praise now. She has given her all not to the biblical household, but her, uh, she's given it to the name-stealing God of mammon we call the economy. Okay? That's who she's sacrificing herself for. So many women do this, but I want to say also men are doing the same thing too. Okay? It's not just women. We'll get to the husbands too. The reality is, is that we have sacrificed many of our things to the economy that is some abstract thing. It's not a home-centered thing anymore. It's a, a machine, okay? It's, a, it's a, a God that worships mammon out there. And yes, the, this wife has done this, uh, and she brings home a big fat check to the family, but I have yet to meet a husband or child who says that her money, that is the wife's money, is more precious than her presence, okay? I've yet to meet a man say, yeah, she's gone all the time, but man, her money's nice to have when I can go out on my boat. It's really great that she works this job and we have a, a two-income household where we can do all the things that we want to do. Well, we can't actually because she's at work all the time. But the, the idea is there. Like we still have the boat that, uh, yes, it's, uh, it's rotting in the garage and we have it. But, yes, it's awesome that we have this. I have yet to hear a man that's really bragging on his wife in that kind of way. What you hear is the, the son or a daughter that says, Mom's awesome. Do you know what she does? She does this every day for us. Or the husband that says, no, my wife, she, take care, she takes care of our household. She does so many things. Her. I could go on and on about all the things my wife does. That's the kind of thing that you hear. The most precious thing in God's sight and family sight and even the virtuous community sight is not money or stuff that a woman can offer. It is herself. That's what we need. We need the wives themselves committing themselves to the household. She is the most precious thing. Not money, not what she can do, not some uh, milestone that we can make for feminism saying women, women have accomplished this. Of course, we know women are accomplished. Uh, why are we still trying to prove that women are successful? Why are we still trying to prove that women can accomplish many, many great things? We know that. They've been doing it forever. Why do we have to now say, well, now they can do it in this machine over here we call the economy? Why are we doing that? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It tears up hearts. It tears up families. It tears up households. And yet, our modern culture screams for us to settle for a shallower version of the ideal woman. Okay? It wants a woman's charm to climb the business ladder. We just need a charming woman. But Proverbs says right in our text, that's deceitful. That's deceitful. It wants externally beautiful, i.e. objectifiable, images of womanhood. But Proverbs says that's vain. Okay? That's not what we need to focus on. The women that history remembers are not the CEOs the Miss America Universe, or whatever they are, Miss Universe, pageant winners, it's not those people at all. It's the wives and moms who handed down oracles to their kids and were forever praised because their husbands and kids couldn't stop talking about how awesome their mom and wife are. 
That's who we remember. That's the people that make uh, impact that goes on for centuries and centuries. This is literally what Proverbs 31 is. It's a king rising up to call his mom blessed, saying, son, you need a mom like this. You need a wife like this. It's a king praising his mother in the gates. It's a king saying, all men should have a wife like your mom. Okay, All men should have a wife like my mom taught me. This is a faithful woman. Okay, And yet there's so many people looking at this and saying, well, that's insulting. That's insulting. It shouldn't be. Okay, But I want you to catch something here. There's a reason why it might feel insulting. For some of you in this room... It might feel like I just spent the last 20 minutes beating you up and shaming you about being a better woman. That's not what I was trying to do. I'm not trying to to say you're falling so short of this. But but this is just the reality of what happens when we fix our gaze on an ideal picture. It's the same thing that happens when we look at the law of God. We look at this and we say, there's the standard. It's awesome. Oh, no. I haven't hit it. Okay? There's so many things that we will fall short of when we look at an ideal picture. And that's what the Proverbs 31 woman is. It's ideal. Okay? We need to remember that while you may have just been thinking I was describing one particular person in history, that's not necessarily what Proverbs 31 is. I was not saying this is this one person that happened back in history because that's not what we're told here. This is an ideal picture of what women should be. Okay? Some people like to say that Proverbs 31 woman isn't even real. Okay? She was just an ideal picture. And that's one way to look at it. In a sense, it's true. That woman isn't real. But here's the way I think of it. Okay, when I think of the Proverbs 31 woman, what I think is it's actually describing is all of the Christian wives here. Okay? I think it's describing you. Now let me explain. In Proverbs 31, we are presented with a picture of a wife that is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This is a flawless woman. She's holy. She's without blemish and portrayed in splendor. This is a great picture of a woman. But if you notice the language I just used, that was taken from Ephesians 5, okay, where it starts to talk about the order of the household. It's the language that the scriptures use for the church that is presented to Christ in such a way after he has washed us with the water of the word and sanctified us. Okay, This is what we look like after we come Christ. And interestingly enough, Ephesians 5 uses this language to exhort husbands to love their wives in this way, okay? Where husbands love their wives, where they wash their wives with the word of God and present them to themselves in splendor, okay? They nourish and cherish their wife the way that Christ does the church. And through that sacrificial love, they progressively become more and more sanctified and shaped into the image of the ideal. In other words, this is where you are going, okay? This is my hope and prayer for you today, wives, not to look at this as a law of Proverbs 31. Okay, This isn't just a law of womanhood, but a picture of what Christ is shaping you into. This is your future. This is where you are going to. Yes, you may hit many of the things on the list already, but God is taking you to an even higher level. He's raising the bar saying, no, this is actually where we're going to. Okay, You are the Proverbs 31 wife when you fear the Lord, as it says in verse 30. That's, that's the Proverbs 31 woman. She fears the Lord. If you fear the Lord this morning, ladies, you are the Proverbs 31 woman. And if you fear the Lord, then you are to be praised, is what the text tells us. So, village, this is my praise to the wives here this morning who fear the Lord. May your husbands and children rise up and call you blessed all the days of your life. And the Holy Spirit, apply this to your own unique lives and context in such a way where you can see, okay, God is calling me to this standard, to the Proverbs 31 woman, and it looks like this for me. 
in my context. And I'm growing all the more in this area or that area. And you look at it and you say, oh, no, this, this is the worst news I've heard all day. No, you say, oh, wow, this is where you're taking me, Lord. I'm grateful that this is the woman that you're calling me to be. That's the Proverbs 31 woman church. It's you, wives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have raised the bar for us, that you um, don't call us to settle for things, that you actually call us to a higher and higher calling at all times. Lord, I pray for the, the wives in particular this morning, that you would encourage them from this text. I pray that they would see that you have a really, really high standard for what a woman should be. You have created women, you created male and female, and you created them with purpose, and you created them in such a way that they might be more and more fulfilled in the ways that you have created them. So Lord, I pray that as the wives look at this text and they find themselves washed with the word, I pray that you would change them even more and more to have a heart that is trying to cultivate these kind of things. That they wouldn't see this as a discouraging thing, but as an encouraging thing. That they might be encouraged to put into practice some of these things, realizing that we need your grace. Realizing that we're going to fall short. Realizing that we need this word all the more to present us to yourself without spot, without blemish. We thank you that you do the work that we can't do. Lord, I pray that you would encourage these wives in the gospel. That is our good news that we have this morning. Not that they might work harder and be more awesome women according to their works, but that they might lean on you, be encouraged at where you are washing them, where you are taking them to be, and let you be their hope as they walk forward in faithfulness and the callings you've called them to in the household. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us continue to worship this morning. By singing, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. This is hymn number 267. Please stand with me as we sing this morning.